campaign of profound love. And justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. And Nina Turner is a great wave in an ocean. She comes from a black people who have been chronically hated for 400 years, but exemplifies levels of love that make her a love warrior. She comes from a black folk who've been terrorized for 400 years, yet she still exemplifies freedom for everybody. Oh, she comes from a people for 400 years that's been traumatized. And yet, she's a wounded healer. Yes, she's a joy spreader. Have you seen the smile on her face and the sparkle in her soul? That's Nina Simone. That's Gerald Levert. That's Aretha Franklin. That's Donnie Hathaway. That's James Brown. That's but Louis Armstrong. That's uh, Mahalia Jackson. That's Fannie Lou Hamar. That's Ella Baker. That's her mama. That's her grandmama. That's who Nina Turner is. She represents the best of love, of freedom, of wounded healing, of joy spreading. And that is a moral and a spiritual achievement. That's not just about politics. And that's why we can say to some of our brothers and sisters who are part of the corporate wing of the Democratic Party with their milk toast neoliberalism, we say we want vision, integrity. We want to focus on the least of these, the poor, the working class, everyday people. That's who Nina Turner is. Are you ready, Cleveland? Are you ready, Aquan? Let us watch. Let us march. Let us march. Wow. I mean, I don't know what to say. Uh, shivers, right? Comrade. Comrade. Doctor, <laughs> Reverend. Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. Probably Emperor. a lawyer. Yeah, probably lawyer. Yeah. Cornell West is a professor. Was was a professor. Was a professor until Harvard shafted him. Knows absolutely how to raise a crowd. Listen, if I was in a you know a room and Cornell West was giving a speech like this, and he looked me dead in the eyes, right? Like he personally pointed to me, and the whole crowd went silent, and he said, "Listen," and that is why. For the good of the movement, for the good of the left, you need to jump off that bridge right now. I'd be like, Cornell West, I see no flaw in that logic. Allow me to jump off that bridge right now, comrade. He I'll says, do it for he you. Says, he knows your name. Yeah, I don't, he we, knows my name personally, yeah. He calls your name personally. The lights choreograph. They know where you're at in the audience. They know where he's pointing, right? The lights go up right on you. And then the whole crowd starts you know, cheering, jump off the bridge. Jump, jump off, off the, the bridge. bridge. Jump, jump off, off the, the bridge. Right, everyone's going nuts. Everyone's going crazy. Yeah. You got, you got 
the liberals. You got Hillary Clinton saying like, "No, you shouldn't jump off the bridge. Don't jump off the bridge." We're making Hillary Clinton seem like she's uh, oh yeah, like an actual reasonable, an actual reasonable person. Actual reasonable person. Suddenly Hillary Clinton's like, "Yo, don't yeah, jump yeah. off the fucking bridge. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. This guy's fucking crazy. What's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she'll be like, ah, <laughs> why don't you Pokemon Go over there? Oh, jeez. Oh, God. All right. Well, I mean, with a speech like that, uh, the good news is surely Nina Turner won, right? Oh, don't even get me started. Let's talk about that now, why don't we? I don't think I have to tell you that uh, Nina Turner got her uh, got her cheeks clapped by the establishment. <laughs> don't say it like that, man. Uh, cheeks Hil- clapped. Hillary Clinton came in with her endorsement, Ugh. and suddenly it mattered. Jim S- Clyburn, who takes more money than any other member of Congress by the health care companies, endorsed her opponent. The Israel lobby, of course, the pro-Israel lobby, dropped like over a million dollars against her in the final hours. And Nina Turner, unfortunately, was uh, taken down. So I think everyone, if you're a progressive, you pretty much know that by now. Uh, But also, I I don't blame you if you weren't watching a minor race in Ohio in the middle of the year. So... Yeah, this is a really big blow to my heart. I mean, if it's, I, it's a big loss. It's a huge loss. If I had to pick anybody that was the most likely to take up like Bernie Sanders' mantle, and like who he would pass the baton to, I would say it would probably be like Dina Turner, uh, maybe some other member of the squad or and the establishment knew that. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously they're really good friends. They they have a good connection. She was his co-chair for his 2020 campaign. Um, she was just pushing his vision there, um, giving her flavor, giving her background and her expertise in it. And um, this is this is a race that we were watching pretty clear- carefully. Yeah, I mean, Nina Turner, if you've been anywhere near Bernie world, if you've been anywhere near the Democratic Socialist DSA world... Hello, somebody! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you've been around, like, the podcasts in general on the left you've heard of nina turner you've seen her you've seen some clip of her uh giving some fire uh raising speech everyone on their feet type deal and she was running for this she was in the lead for quite a lot she was making millions and millions of dollars and then the establishment just got behind her opponent Chantel brown she basically said flat out that she was the centrist that she's a biden democrat that she will always take the centrist vote, the Jim Clyburn vote, really just worked hard to be the opposite of Nina Turner in a lot of ways. And no wonder Hillary Clinton supported her. Yeah, exactly. Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton supported her, and the Nina Turner made like the most money in like one day in her campaign. But yeah, uh, that's really reminiscent of the 2020 election. Right. I mean, if you give, if, if Hillary Clinton gives you her endorsement, your opponent automatically gets like. billion dollars you know 
Um, it's like a kiss of death getting her endorsement. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of leftists are really butthurt over it uh, that we lost that race. I'm, I'm hurt over it, but at the same time, it's not like we were cheated, right? And the, and the way I'm saying that is, like, it's not like they stuffed ballots. It's not like they, yeah, like, capital has the money. Capital has spent millions of dollars manufacturing the consent. But it's not like we couldn't have done the same shit. You know, there, there's no reason we couldn't have, have played harder ball than we did. And uh, at the end of the day, it's... That's always been my complaint with progressives. Um, I, I kind of like the idea of playing hardball. And especially when we're, we're pushing issues that, like, determine the difference between life and death for a lot of people in the country who are, right. like, underprivileged, who are poor, who are struggling so hard to make ends meet. We need to play hardball because... I mean, the issues can't afford us not to. And so, I mean, think about the 2020 election. I, I cringe every time Bernie Sanders would say, like, ah, oh, Joe Biden's my friend. I'm like, the dude doesn't have a war he doesn't support, you know? He, he supported... Right. You, like, you voted against most of the things. The crime bill. I mean, for, right? I mean, no, there's no... No, he's not your friend. Stop saying that, you know? Like, we go above and beyond on the left uh, to be as nice and kind as possible. We always try to take the high road, but the establishment has shown so many times that they wouldn't hesitate to dump all their money, all their time, all their effort into destroying your campaign. Well, I mean, like, that's sort of my issue with the DSA, uh, mm. the Democratic Socialist of America. You know, they have like 100,000 members. They're the largest socialist group in America since, I mean, we're, we're going back a very long time, like the 30s or 40s, right? Maybe since the uh, industrial workers... Uh, union, but you're talking, you know, they, they, they've come back, they were originally like 9,000 members before 2016, now they're up to 100,000, uh, they are by far the new standard bearers, but the issue with them is they're fucking pushovers. Right. They are constantly worried about their message, how they sound, how they look, uh, Look, I'm not going to say they don't win races. They win uh, local races, a lot of, like, city councils, some congresswomen, uh, you know, AOC, I believe uh, uh, Ilhan Omar might be Rashida one. Rashida Tlaib? Maybe? Rashida Tlaib. I know more than one of them are in the squad, yeah. are, are definitely DSA members. But at the end of the day, they try to go into the Democratic Party and run members of the Democratic Party to sort of take over the party. At the end of the day you're not going to beat the establishment in that way No, I by mean, playing the, their game. They made the game. They made the game. They control the media. I mean, you'll see... It's like their rules. You yeah. know? You're not going the, to beat them. The media has been sucking Biden off ever since he got into office. Like, Biden could pick his nose and they'll be like, oh, our great president, our leader. Right. You're watching this guy have a brain chart yeah. all the time. I mean, there are certain things that Trump said that rightfully so, got media attention for hours and hours, weeks. Like, stupid shit he'd say. Uh, like, remember that... Do you remember, like, early on in his presidency, he tweeted the word, like, kafefe or something? Kafefe, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still use that as a meme today. Sure, but, like, Joe Biden literally forgets where he's at sometimes. Yeah, you can see the look in his eyes. He's like... He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't like know what state headlights. he's in. Yeah, yeah, he just loses it for a minute or two. And... You know, it's like the media is not ripping into him the same way they ripped into Trump. And it's this... Right. Uh, there was actually a recent uh, a scene on... I think it was... Did they recently do town halls or something like that? Yeah, they did a town hall not too yeah. long ago for Joe Biden. Joe Biden's brain melted down. Right. Like, but it was... he His brain melted down 
to, to levels that make everything that he's done in the in the election recently seem like child's play. Yeah, it's weird. It, and the CNN host bent over backwards to twist whatever he was saying into something that made sense, and it is glorious. Maybe I could put an audio clip in here for us. That's underway, just like the other question that's illogical. And I've heard you speak about it because you always, I'm not being solicitous, but you, you're always straight up about what you're doing. Yeah. And the question is whether or not we should be in a position where you uh, um, are, why can't the, the, the experts say, we know that this virus is in fact, uh, um, uh, it, it, it's going to be, uh, or excuse me, we, we, we know why all the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. Yeah. That's underway, too. I expect that to occur quickly. Well, that means you mean for the FDA? For the FDA. I mean, that's that's sort of the thing is the media has gotten behind Joe Biden because they are a upper class. They are rich. We're starting to sound like an alt-right podcast right now. We better watch (laughs) your territory. But I mean, it's true. It's we are talking about a a upper class of a media class that makes most of their money. Uh, Most of them are millionaire, multimillionaires. Anderson Cooper. You know, Chris Cuomo, we'll talk about Chris Cuomo in a second. You know, Chris Cuomo makes like $6 million a year just doing CNN's, uh, like, anchor position, right? Do you think he's talking about his brother? You know, Andrew yeah. Cuomo? I mean, not, I mean, guess, I, I was about to say I don't want to date this podcast for a news <laughs> podcast. I mean, Andrew Cuomo right now is, is facing impeachment, like right. 99% chance of this dude getting impeached. Right, I even saw... he weasels out of it. I think uh, Biden just also put out a statement against him yeah, saying Biden, that he, he ought Biden to resign. Biden said you should resign. God, Both, when Biden, like... You know, yeah. loose hands by them. Who, who's accused of himself you, of sexual assault yeah, by Tyree? Yeah, himself tells you and that again, you should resign. Does he get, you know, d- does his accuser get airtime? Does she get the FBI doing the investigation? You know, and like and the built-in ex- argument for this is like, well, you know, Trump has a lot of sexual assault cases too, and so does, you know, all these famous Republicans. And it's like, I'm, of course, right? But... But why can't we just, like, live in a country where the people we elect aren't, you know, even accused of sexual assault or, like, you know, any other or just fraud or crimes? Or just say we want the world to run a certain way. Yeah. You know, if I'm a Republican, if I'm an alt-right troll, if I'm on the Internet, I'm looking at Andrew Cuomo, and I'm saying, I'm looking at Joe Biden being accused by Tara Reid, and I'm saying, well, why isn't that getting covered like that? You know, why, right. you know, what an asshole for, for Joe Biden to come out and say... You know these accusations. These accusations. Uh, you know, rightfully so. You should resign. Uh, that's what he said to Andrew Cuomo, and Andrew Cuomo is going to fight tooth and nail. I mean, people look at Andrew Cuomo. His dad was a three-term governor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was. He grew up in the the governor's mansion with his brother Chris. Uh, Andrew Cuomo became governor. He's in his third term. He's got a year left in his uh, third term. Again, nice thinking that you know Chris Cuomo just happened to fight tooth and nail to get his, his job in CNN, how could he possibly, you know, find his... Same as Anderson Cooper, right? Anderson Cooper's mom was like right. a, a fashionista yeah. multimillionaire. But, you know, again, th- like that class of people has decided that they're not going to turn on their, on their own. Not really. No. Chris Cuomo is not going to mention his brother. 
Meanwhile, Chris Cuomo is facing a barrage of criticism after failing to mention the scandal for a second straight night. The CNN anchor finds himself between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, he's avoiding covering one of the biggest stories in America. But if he did, he could be accused of conflict of interest and breach of ethics. You want to talk about nepotism? Not having to talk about the biggest scandal in the country when it, it has to do with your brother and you're hosting CNN. That's nepotism. Right. At the end of the day on a show. Right. CNN is not going to talk about Andrew Cuomo like that. They're not yeah, going to. Yeah, I think to. It, even at one point he even directly like mentioned to the to the camera like look, I'm not going to talk about this. Yeah, well, um, he's saying it's a conflict of interest, which here's the thing. You are 100% right. Talking about your brother is conflict of interest. Then why the fuck did you have him on your show like right. a dozen times back when he was like hero, like a hero of New York City? It was like the split screen, the two of them like talking and why'd the bosses allow that? Why'd the bosses allow Andrew Cuomo uh, the split screen of, of them two talking about their mother and spicy right. meatballs and, you know, <laughs> I'm walking here, I'm walking here, you know what I'm saying? Like all that Italian yeah, shit. Pandering yeah. to the to the viewers Right, there. I make the better garlic bread, you know what I'm saying? Right. The hand gestures. Right. But the thing is, like, all right, well, you let him on back when he was popular, on literally on your show, the man himself, but now he's being accused of sexual assault and he might be impeached. And Chris Cuomo's like, top story tonight, Simone Biles. She won Bron- Is that the top story? Is that really the most Is that really the thing? top story, Chris? Right. Again, put me, yeah, last week we tore up Anderson Cooper. Now this week, Chris Cuomo's getting the, right. he's getting the fist. He's getting the hands. <laughs> the hands, the mighty hands of the left. <laughs> he's getting the hands right now. Um, but then we're like, like what we're talking about the media. In the last episode, we talked about the media quite a lot in general and how we have problems with it. But, you know, now you're going to look at someone like Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, who are absolute quacks in their own right, use this as a springboard of like, well, the left isn't talking about this. Right. Or like the liberals aren't talking about this. Right. And they're right. So now all of a sudden, these Republican whack jobs, these fascist supporters suddenly look like they're a legit news source because like, look, we're covering what they're not willing to cover. Right, exactly. It, it, Tucker Carlson himself is just a very special kind of political commentator in his own right. He does like the the bait and switch all the time. Sure. Where he'll go on like a political rant for like 30 minutes straight saying things that are nominally populist left. He'll go on a rant against corporations, against uh, mainstream media, how they are, you know, married to government, married to like politicians, how there's this whole like big club and you're not invited, you're not a part of it. And then, you know, the whole time you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is based. Based Tucker Carlson. And then he'll turn it around and be like, and that's why this minority group needs to be eviscerated, you know, from the population, you know. These corporations are protecting minorities who are coming over the border and, like, those are the issue, right? Like, instead of saying, like, hey, we we can work together to take these companies down that are acting like X, Y, and Z, he says, you know, well, we can't actually step in on these companies, but we can stop, like, them hiring these illegal immigrants and he knows what he's doing he's a bright enough guy right definitely uh oh he's he's not dumb no again he he got where he was again through association of of certain people yeah the cocktail circuits the cocktail circuits exactly he was born rich with a silver spoon in his mouth and uh he was dating a woman who helped him get into the the private high school or college if i remember you know he went to and because because her dad was uh it goes that far back that's incredible it goes that far back with the guy and he got a job and i think he got a job in cnn he actually got fired from cnn because of john stewart i don't know if you ever saw that clip 
No, I might have actually so heard something. He had about a that. show called Crossfire. Uh, uh, Tucker Carlson did, and the whole point of the show was Tucker Carlson, the young right wing uh, guy, had this old, decrepit liberal on his show, and the and the, the goal was Crossfire. Like we're going to talk about a topic, and the two of us will debate it. But, right. But of course, the old liberal can't keep up with like the young, right, twenty thirty something Tucker Carlson. So you got Jon Stewart on the show who just shat on them and they canceled the show the next episode. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he basically just made them look like fools. He's just like, what is this journalism? Like, exactly. This is, this is, yeah. Like yeah. Th- this is, this is a horseshit show. Right. You know, like they're trying to use, Oh, like I thought you were a comedian. I thought you were supposed to be funny. He's like, I'm not laughing. Like this, this show sucks. Right. And they just, they cancel it. It's funny, you know, and I, and I, I made a special effort to come on the show today because I have, uh, privately, amongst my friends and also in occasional newspapers and television shows, <laughs> mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to, I felt that that wasn't fair and I should come here and, and tell you that I don't, it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> So I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, no, I just, no, let me, here, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. Okay, now. Let me, and and let come work you. for us because we, as the people. How do you pay? The people, not, not well. Better than CNN, I'm sure. But you can sleep at night. See, the, the, the thing is, we need your, your help. You're, right now, you're helping the politicians and the, 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 the corporations, and we're left out there to mow our lawns. You just said we're too rough on them when they make mistakes. No, 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 you're not too rough on them. You're part of their strategies. Yeah, so, I mean, to tie it back into what you were talking about, I'm just beyond pissed off at the coverage, the media coverage happening now about Nina Turner's race. Um, I'm actually seeing some people uh, claim that she is being anti-Semitic because... In her concession speech, she said that progressives will not allow this to happen again And in reference to dirty, evil money corrupting the results of an election and right. effectively allowing people with the most money uh, to win elections. And, you know. and, and an anti, a pro-Israel pact spent $1.2 million attacking her with basically flat-out lies. I saw that. I, I saw, uh, in fact, I heard that even, like, GOP money went into the race in, in favor of Chantel Brown. Yeah, there was an idea that because they have an open primary in Ohio, you can vote for whoever you want to actually want to vote for. Mm-hmm. So nothing would stop Republicans from just donating or voting against Nina Turner. And right. that will come out more as time goes on. I don't know what those numbers would look like, but... It just goes to show that capital defends capital. Oh, yeah, always. At the end of the day, I mean, I, I remember when the primary was going on for the Democrats... The Republicans I knew in my life were saying, well, if I have to pick somebody, I'd rather have Joe Biden than Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren because right. it'll take my money type deal. Right. It's like, dude, you work at a Taco Bell. <laughs> what are they trying to take from you? But like to them, it's like one day I could be a millionaire, then they take my money. Right, yeah. You know, I could own these fryers one day, you know? And I'm like, you could, but not the way you think. I'm like, you know, I, got, I have this bridge I could sell you real quick. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I, I've heard uh, I've heard smears against Nina Turner because she didn't support Biden and his like incrementalism. Right. Well, she was trying to get people to vote for Joe Biden, like Bernie Sanders was after Bernie Sanders right. lost the uh, nomination. And her argument was like, listen, we all know it sucks. She said it's like eating a bowl of shit, but you have to do it. Right. And th- that was her way of getting, hey, listen, I'm giving you permission to vote for Joe Biden if you're right. a progressive on the fence. Now she's getting shit on for it. Right. And it, I mean, that was a pretty big attack against her. That Like, oh, you said like voting for Joe Biden was like, a bowl of shit. Yeah. And it's like you're taking out of the context in the moment. She was telling these angry progressives – that she knew, the quote-unquote, like, Bernie bros, right? The people right. who were like, hey, it's okay. You can put the sword down, or you can put down the anger, and let's just do this together. was basically what she was saying at the time. Right, And yeah. she just got shit on during uh, this primary. And you know what the other thing that pisses me off about the, the media coverage is... Leading up to this race, I was seeing story after story of, like, what does it mean if the progressives win? Not that much. Doesn't matter really if the progressives win because look, they're yeah. favored and they're. Uh, it doesn't really matter because you know it's just one more member of the squad. But now that she lost, the establishment's like spiking the football, and they're like, "This means the death of Bernie," you know? Right, right, right. Just socialism is over. <laughs> just like the the guy you know on on the um, school playground, just like you know the bully pretending to be tough, like you know I. I don't, I don't care about this. This is below me, beneath me, and then immediately, like, we'll turn around and like, yeah, talk. lash out the moment something goes wrong, you know, against him, it, yeah. against his. And now they're talking crazy shit because they won. Yeah. Before they were already trying to like preemptively play it down. Look, it's, it's already a mess. People. So the, the big pull away from this is what is this going to mean in 2022, where a lot of progressives are going to be challenging uh, Democrats for their seats. And what does this mean in 2024? Does this mean that, like, we're, we're turning... At the end of the day, it's just one race in Ohio. It's a low-turnout election. It's 2021. It's not the midterms, so you're not right. getting a crazy turnout for the midterms. It's not the presidential year, so you're not getting a crazy turnout for that. It, it was a bad year to run in general. Right. She did the best she could. Right. Like, the left does better the more participation there is in the political... You know, process. That, that's the logic and, that a lot of people have, yeah. And yeah, so if you're running on an off season or if you have a special election like this, it's it's gonna impact things. Because on the off years, you're getting a lot of people who always vote, and the always voters are typically the old. It's the baby boomers. It's the people who are already naturally conservative. It's the people who are who don't have a working class job, where they get to. You know, it's not November. No, so that means no. people had to take off their job and stand in line to vote. That means they have to risk their life with COVID, you know, if, if you're with that and if you're not vaccinated. Like, who knows? Like, there's a there's hundred things where it's like it's more difficult to, to vote, more pain in the ass. Where the people who turned up to vote were people who were basically had nothing better to do, which means they're going to vote for the establishment, you know, cause probably because they have money. They don't need to. So, Unfortunately, we we just lost, and I would not. I wouldn't take too much away from this. I think Nina Turner will run again. Oh, I'm sure that she she's got a lot of fight in her. Yeah, you you get a lot of you're allowed to lose like one good race. It's the second race. If you lose that, your credibility starts getting shot to hell. Look at Andrew Yang, right? I mean, right. Uh, and everyone knew he wasn't going to be the presidential nominee. Maybe the Yang gang didn't know that, but everyone else knew he was not the presidential nominee. And after that, when he announced his run for mayor, he was in the lead for 
most of the months up until like the final stretch. Right. And in the end, he got like fourth place out of a pretty crowded fear, field. See, uh, I couldn't I couldn't watch his um, his uh, campaign in New York. Granted, I, I recognize that Yang isn't some sort of like socialist lefty. You know, he's not Absolutely like not. my vision of the solution. But the thing I liked about him during the election was that he actually like screamed authenticity. Right? He spoke to you like you were just in his living room having a beer with him. I like you know the concept of UBI. He spoke about it when it was virtually not a non-existent you know policy proposal. Right. And like a year the- later, people are getting checks from the government because of right. COVID. Yeah, so it's a big deal. I mean, he he's bringing ideas into the into the Overton window that matter. Um, but I, you know, I've loosely followed his election or his campaign in New York, and it just seemed like he was flailing. He he would say yeah. one week he would say something that would piss off a group of people, and then the next week he'd try to like course correct to the extreme, or then he would say the exact opposite and piss right. off another group of people, and you could tell that like. Once you go go down the path of being a standard politician where your goal is to appease people and not necessarily say what you think, it just is – it's so blatant. It's so obvious. You can see it. You can see right. it the way they talk, in the way that they, you know, go about running their election – their campaign, rather. Um, so I, I – I that, that wasn't Yang Gang. So I, I do want to move off from this topic. But yeah. I kind of want to move on to a mini topic. I don't want to go on it for too long because, again, it's kind of pointless. We're four years out from it. But – Real quick, so in Florida with Ron DeSantis, hmm. he's often seen as most likely the next Trump figure. So if Trump doesn't run, the early polls say that Ron DeSantis is probably going to be the guy for the Republicans. His poll numbers are starting to tank now because COVID's exploding in a state. Right. But, I mean, look, four years is four years. People were saying Jeb Bush, because he was in the lead in the polls for the longest time, was going to be the nominee and then Trump got in the race and everyone knows what happened there. Right. Four years is a long time. You know, a lot of opportunity for scandals, a lot of opportunity for people just to die. The Democrats have a lot of lot of opportunities to shit the bed. Well, I'm saying a lot of Republicans have the opportunity to shit the bed too. I yeah. mean, it, it's all over the place. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Kamala Harris is already underwater, but it, who knows what in four years what that's going to be. Maybe she actually starts pulling through. Maybe she becomes president. In the meantime, Joe Biden, look, Joe Biden's 78. He'll be 82 by the end of his first term. Right. Could very well just pass away, as old 80-year-old men often do. And then maybe she has a year or two as president, and it goes pretty all right. And all of a sudden, she's going in, the, in a good spot. Anyway, we have no idea. It's four years away. I think a lot of people on the left kind of assumed that Nina Turner would have been the presidential nominee. But she lost this race, and that, that's a big right. blow to her. Ron DeSantis has a governor race next year. If he loses that, I mean, how is he going to run for president? I, I, right. it, it's like what Chris Christie tried to do when he got slammed out of office towards the end of his term. You can't run for president now when you got like 20% support in your own fucking state, bro. Right. I mean, it's like the psychological thing. People like a winner. Um, as much as it, it sucks to admit, like a lot of elections are based on popularity based on this appearance of strength. Yeah, you have to prove you you can win. You have to prove you can win, right. Show up to the polls for you, phone bank for you, donate to you. No one wants to blow their money. Unless you're Beto O'Rourke, then you can make like $5 million day one. Right. And then he goes, oops, I lost all of it. Donate more money. Or I wonder if you can like bank on the Pete Buttigieg effect where you can just claim you won the election anyway and then just... You know, scurry off. By having better hands guided by better values on those pulleys and levers of American government. So can I look to you to spread that sense of hope to those that you know? Come on. (laughs) 
Well, now you're bringing up the history side of me. You know, Iowa in general. So Iowa is the first state in the union to do any sort of primary. It's a caucus, but they're the first ones to have their election for nominee of Republican and, and Democrat. So every four years, every single candidate descends upon Iowa because if you win Iowa, you get this crazy momentum. Famously, for a good example, is in 2008, everyone everyone was shocked to shit that Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton. Right. And as soon as that happened, there was this crazy momentum behind Barack Obama, and then you had a race where before, again, no one wanted to vote for him, no one cared about him, everyone kind of just assumed it would be Hillary Clinton. He wins Iowa because he outperformed there because he spent money because he talked to people. He'd go farm to farm. He'd actually be in people's living rooms. And then that was sort of the end of that. I mean, very popular story that Trump took his helicopter and gave kids rides at the Iowa Fair. Wow. You know, Incredible. when he was running in, in yeah. 2016. I don't think he got first place in Iowa. I don't remember. But it, as long as you're in, like, the top three right. in Iowa. You, that sets you apart from the rest it, of the yes, pack. Yes. All of a sudden, yeah. it makes it very clear who's who's in the lead and who's not, which is the big step away it was in 2020. Joe Biden got, like, fifth place, like, three, three states in a row yeah. until South Carolina when everyone uh, fucking ran, went behind him. But so the idea of like everyone loves a winner, right? That if you win Iowa, you, you just need to win. You need to right. show that you can win something, and then all of a sudden people care. So if if Ron DeSantis loses the governorship, uh, that's a huge blow to him. It's an open race for anybody. But as far as twenty twenty four goes, it, it's just an open. It feels like an open field to car me. crash waiting to happen. It, it's it's a it's a highway with a billion people. Right, it sort of feels gratifying knowing that, um, like, for the most part, it doesn't seem like Kamala Harris uh, is being considered as a top contender anymore. She she won't just walk into it. No. It, I'll tell you this. If if Biden dies and she is the next president of the United States, she will be the automatic presumptive. I, I don't know. It's tough. Because it depends. Like, if he dies now, she'll be president for three years. Right. Then it's like, well, she got a full term and she is the president. A lot of Democrats will get behind her. But if she takes over, like, with a year and a half left or a year, it, all of a sudden it's like, well, hold on. That doesn't mean you're, you're automatically guaranteed the spot. Like, I'm going to primary challenge you. you know? Right. And it's kind of strange how it works because, like, Kamala Harris, like, she quit before the primaries. Like, yeah, she didn't get she, – She didn't even yeah. place. Let's not even talk about like fifth place, sixth place. She didn't yeah. place at all. She she famous again. I keep using the word famously. <laughs> she had that first debate with Joe Biden where she accused him of you know being tight with segregationists, which he was. Which he was. Uh, being opposed to busing, which he was. Hundred percent. Which you know the former teacher in May all of a sudden busing was a good thing. Right. You know it's. I mean it was a it was a half measure. Right. Yeah. From desegregating neighborhoods and schools. Basically, you just took black kids and brought them to the white schools. Mm. But it was something. Uh, right. Joe Biden opposed that because he didn't want to, you know, of course. He was friends with literal segregation as he gave eulogies to segregationist uh, senators. Right. Yeah. So I think it was Strom Thurmond who he did it for. And Strom Thurmond, the only guy I know about that guy. Pretty sure it was Strom Thurmond. The only thing I know about him is he set the record for the longest filibuster against the Civil Rights Act. Oh, of course. It was like 26 hours that guy talked. How much racism needs to be in your body? Talk for 26 hours. Yeah, 26. You have to talk for 26 hours to prevent like racial equality. That That's right. some dedication. That's a lot of talking, man. That's more dedication than most racists online at this yeah. point. Like, 
Like, he must be the progenitor of all racists. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the big the, racist daddy. The power daddy. of all racists flew through uh, his veins. Right. So he, He's like Sauron, and he just imbued all his racism right. into the one ring, and now, like... He had 26 good hours of racism. <laughs> good hours, yeah, yeah, And it, it's like, you, it was more just like you, you were shocked by his racism, where it's like you weren't... It, it took you a while to be offended because you're like, my God, it's right. like hour 14 and he's still this racist. At, at that point, like, you get to a point where you're like, I, I don't even want to stop him. I just want to see how long he goes. How you long know? can you be this racist, bro? Yeah, 26 yeah. hours to, to filibuster. So, and then Joe Biden goes to his funeral and says, like, he was a good man. He was a good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up. I'll, I'll, I'll punch your mother in the face. Challenge me to push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Joe Biden impression right there. Okay. Listen, fat. <laughs> Uh, listen, lying dog, ah, dog face pony, pony soldier. I wanna, pony soldier. Listen, I'll, I'll run you over with my car. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you know the thing. The Come thing. On, you know it. You know. Rocky Mountain Road ice cream. Come on. You know. On. You know the 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 thing. Anyway, so <laughs> that's enough of that. It's yeah, not, it's not I, fun to make fun of senile people. No, it's not, it's not. It's no. not. It's not funny. No, it's we're not funny. uh. It's no. not funny. That's. It is a little funny. Yeah, Joe Biden is pretty funny. So, yeah, look, I do not think this will happen. I do not believe this will happen. There's no reason Joe, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders can't run at the age of 82. If Joe Biden says, I'm 82 years old and I'm going for a second term, there's no reason 82-year-old Bernie Sanders can't say, yeah, hold right. on a minute, player. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, just just you wait just one more minute. By I, God, I hear Bernie Sanders music. Oh, it's Bernie Sanders <laughs> with a steel exactly. chair. Exactly. <laughs> So the thing is, is like, I think we'll see a AOC will be 35 years old, which is the limit, uh, the uh, the age for running for president. So look, we have no idea what 2024 will bring. I don't think losing the Nina Turner race is going to slow down the progressive movement whatsoever. Nah, definitely not. I mean, I was worried that the progressive movement would slow down when Bernie lost in 2020. Uh, right, but it looks and, and like since then we've been winning. A, a bunch of smaller races and seats. Right. Buffalo has the first socialist mayor in like 80 years. That's pretty important. So that's incredible. I'm still getting bills. texts like every other day uh, to donate to a bunch of different progressive candidates. I'm out of money at this point, but <laughs> it's a good sign. It, it means there there's still fight left. Um, I I couldn't even tell you who I would predict would be running. I mean, I just hope it's not one of those like the Oprahs or the. Uh, Dwayne the Rock yeah. Johnsons, you know. Well, I, I mean, did you hear that? Trying to pull out Trump, you know. Matthew McConaughey has been making a lot of phone calls to people in Texas, and he thinks he might want to run for governor. Right. And no one knows what, like, what party he wants to run for. But I can tell you right now, if Matthew McConaughey runs for governor of, of Texas, he'll win it. But right. that guy is, like, militantly centrist. Militantly centrist? Militantly cent- like, like, committed to the cause yeah, of not like, picking a side. Yes, yes. Like, militant. Like, goes out of his way to be like, oh, man, both sides have wackos, you know? Like, if he says anything about the left or the right, he's got to balance it out. Yeah. So I don't know what party he'd run for. And he's probably going to face Beto O'Rourke, who... Those radical centrists. Yeah. The thing is, I don't think a Democrat will win Texas for another, like, ten years. No, but it was so... It was interesting. My favorite memes out of the 2020 election were, like... Hey guys, you know Texas is turning another shade red this time. Yolidarity. <laughs> you know when when there was like an inkling of a chance for Bernie to win that that state. I think it's more likely that uh, we'll see Yal Qaeda take over the state capital <laughs> before before Yolidarity happened. Yeah, but I, you know I'm not trying to keep my hope up. Um, you know I've been I've heard 
stories lately that um, like the Democrats did some internal polling, congressional Democrats, and found that they were, you know, down six point to Republicans uh, for 2022. So that's not super surprising. Typically, the midterms are always bad for the incumbent party. Right. I mean, famously, Trump lost the House, the Senate, and the presidency in four fucking years, which is, like, unheard of. That shit hasn't been done since, like, Herbert Hoover. Since Herbert right? Hoover. Nice. That's when FDR came in. Right. Yeah. And that was that helped a lot of people saying, oh, is Joe Biden the next FDR? No, because if he was, he'd be fucking crushing it right now in the polls, and he's not. Right. You know? FDR, doing literally anything. FDR was crushing it in the polls. FDR had four fucking terms as president. You know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Biden's approval rating as of, like, July 23rd hit 50%, uh, which is the lowest it's been for him. Right. Uh, just things aren't looking good. And I think it's because the, the Democrats have, you know, at the start of this, this four years, have been just handed a layup, a massive layup, you know, they've, they had this economy to deal with, which they could have improved. They had, you know, they could have passed, like, common sense things in terms of COVID relief. They managed to squeeze through the 1400 which, by the way, they, they sold it to us as $2,000. $2,000. Yeah, yeah, 2000 They said, and I quote, we'll give you $2,000 checks. Unambiguously, right. that's interpreted as, like, a full two grand. Um, they had that. They've got this looming eviction crisis that they only just barely managed to sort of scrape by. Uh, with the biggest half measure, um, and and their handling of that entire eviction crisis is just abysmal. It's it's like children are running our government. Right. Joe Biden said like, "Hey, I can't extend the moratorium anymore." Senate, you do it, and then the Senate said, "Well, we can't do it." Uh, Joe Biden, you do it. It's like, well, hold on, you can't fucking do it because you went home for vacation. That's not fair. Right. Get back to work. Why, why am I fucked on this one? And then Joe Biden extended it, even though he said he couldn't. Right. So, like, the moratorium... I literally don't have the power to do what I'm doing. I'm signing this paper. Right. Yeah. It's like, the whole... whole, Every step of the way, it was like, from the beginning, it was like, hey, we'd like to do something regarding the... I I forget if it was, like, the Green New Deal, or if it it had something to do with, like, um, student debt cancellation, but they're like, no, we can't do it because the parliamentarian said so. Or we we just don't have the power to... I wish we could, but we can't. What you're talking about is raising the minimum wage to $15, I think, is what you're thinking. Is that what they were talking about? The parliamentarian stepped in and said no. Oh, it was about adding a $15 minimum wage increase to one of, like, the... um, Right. The COVID bills. First of all, like, as soon as they said that, everybody and their grandmother was like, what the fuck is a parliamentarian? This is the first I'm hearing of it. It's just an excuse. I've literally, before that happened, I literally, I didn't even know that was a a thing in in government. There was a parliamentarian. He goes just fire the parliamentarian. George W. Bush did. Oh, Republicans do it all the time. As soon as you say no to them, they're just like, all right, cool, you're fired. Yeah, you're fucking gone. But deep down, the Democrats don't want a $15 minimum wage. So, oh my God, the parliamentarian. We got to listen to the parliamentarian who suddenly matters. Oh, and oh, I sprained my ankle and the sun is in my eyes. Oh, this obscure rule from the War of 1812 says we can't give you a $15 minimum wage. Like, that's what what they're basically doing. It's like if it wasn't Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema taking most of the heat, other Democrats would step up and say, "Hey, you're not getting a fifteen dollars minimum wage. We're not going to allow that." So right. with, with, with the whole eviction moratorium, it is a massive, massive, massive half measure because basically, what, what it doesn't forgive any debt. Right. right? So yeah. eleven million renters are currently behind on rent or afraid of eviction. They can't pay. For whatever reason, they're they're going through. That's one in six renters, I think. Yeah, something uh, like that. If I'm not mistaken. So, basically, they are in a position now, the government, that 
they could forgive the debt and say, hey, landlords, you just ain't getting your fucking money. Right. You know, you're just not getting it. But unfortunately, they won't. Or they could just say, hey, the, the government will pay the, the rent. They, they're not doing that. And because they're not doing that, that means the people who are living in these apartments who haven't been able to pay, they still owe the money. It just gets carried over to the next month and then the next month and the next month. So just to say your rent is like $1,000. Right. Right. In January. Well, in February, you can't pay in February. So now your rent's $2,000. We can't pay then. March, now it's 3000 So basically all they're doing is if you can't pay your rent now, uh, Joe Biden basically pushed it for another two months. Well, that's great. Now you've piled even more money on. Even more people are going to be in this position where they can't pay their fucking rent in just two more months. So are you just going to keep kicking this can down the road? It's the same thing with like student debt relief. Are you just going to kick this like trillion dollar can down the road, or are you just going to fucking right. pick it up? And, that, and that's the problem is that it's just do something about it, you know? The problem is we, we create this economy where in America you have the student loan crisis, you have the medical crisis because medical uh, services are privatized here. So you have a ton of medical debt, you have tons of student debt, car loans, mortgages, our housing markets absolutely outrageous right now yeah i don't know if you've heard about like all the different banks and you know big institutions just buying out buying out places uh renting them out for amounts that people can't pay for they're more than happy to keep them vacant millennials are not Uh, buying houses they're not buying cars they're not buying anything and it's getting to a point now where everyone is going to be in massive debt and if no one's buying anything then the economy is not gonna be able to move as much just right. in general. Like, and it's interesting. Like, oh, I'm going to buy a PlayStation. I'm going to buy, like, you know, McDonald's. Those companies will be fine. But when it comes to, like, the big markets of, like, hey, everyone right now wants to buy a car. But we're going to get to a point where it's like, hey, with my car debt, I'm fucked. Like, that's it. Like, I, there's nothing else I can do. Right. My, my student loan debt, I'm going to have until I'm, like, 80. You know? Like, that's going to stop me from moving out. So you're seeing millennials live with their parents to, like, the age of 30. And it's not even just, and it's like all the, yeah, exactly. It's like all the um, other effects of this type of poverty and of this type of situation. You've got probably skyrocketing mental illness, skyrocketing stress, anxiety, yeah. depression, uh, lack of mobility. are absolutely booked. You right. Try and find a therapist right now. Highly recommend that for everybody. You should probably, everyone should probably go find a therapist. That being said, try it. It's possible. Oh, come on. That's why I talk to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's impossible, though, man. It's really hard on, on mental health. While the Democrats have been sort of shitting the bed here with the eviction crisis, we have to hand it to Cori Bush for sticking right. it out, literally living on the A stairs. True leftist, right. Yeah, on the steps doing of the some, Capitol. Doing some old-timey, classic leftism protest, like a sleep-in, basically, on the Capitol steps. Yeah, incredible. I mean, it's also Occupy, right? It's like 2008. It's like Occupy, I'm just yeah. i sit there and... Fuck you. Right. She's been blasting the airwaves. You know, of course, doing something like this uh, earns one uh, media attention. And she's been blasting the airwaves, trying to get, trying to force Biden's hand. Um, And she managed to. And that's the hottest news right now is that, you know, Biden finally said, okay, fine. We found a legal way we can effectively not extend the moratorium necessarily, but like make a new one. I I wonder with this moratorium, I hate to be a downer again. So... Cory Bush, you get your roses. Congratulations. You, you did amazing. Yeah. Get your flowers, right? You did a great job. Um, I mean, true leftism in action. Fuck the haters. 
But right. I'm wondering, if the Supreme Court strikes down this moratorium and people start getting thrown out in the streets and all that stuff, I mean, obviously Congress has to meet back up and try and pass another resolution for the for the debt moratorium. But I wonder if that's going to be really good for Democrats, that these, like, six Republicans in the Supreme Court are now throwing people on the street, and then Biden gets to go, oh, shucks, well, I tried. Maybe. Maybe. It all depends on who has the better media game. If the Republicans can sort of blast the airwaves more than the Democrats and say, look, the Democrats threw you all on the streets, you know, the exact opposite effect might occur. Well, again, like, even the Republicans I know, they... I overheard them, you know, not like friends or anything. I overheard them talking, and they were saying basically, like, you know, the, the debt moratorium. <laughs> They're listening to this podcast like, yo, what the fuck? We're not friends? What the hell? I, I overheard. Well, I'm, I'm saying, like, this are, these aren't, like, family. It's not, like, friends. No, it's, just like, people I know. Yeah. Right. And they were basically saying, you know, the debt moratorium ends on, you know, Saturday. And the other one was basically like, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting. And it's like, I, I hope it's really bad for Biden. But basically, the way they were talking is like, they don't want people homeless either. Right. It's like, oh, that's going to be shitty. But isn't it good for us that people are going to be thrown out in the street during Biden's like reign here? And right. if Biden now gets to turn that around, because at the end of the day, again, like the parliamentarian, at the end of the day, they don't want to cancel your debt. They don't want you getting free shit because you know, complicit in all of this is the threat if you don't go back to work and you work your shitty job and you serve me mozzarella sticks at a at a fucking Applebee's. Right. Right. Then I'll make you homeless. You know, that right. th- that, if that you don't have that threat, people don't want to go to work. Right. Work their shitty two dollar minimum wage below yeah. minimum wage job service jobs. Soulless, you know. So Joe Biden deep down job. knows like, hey, fuck you, like, I, I almost want you to lose your place because that means that threat, that implicit threat is back, right? Right, and who said that capitalism wasn't a coercive system? It, it, yeah, well, 100, 200% is, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. So, I mean, Joe Biden and the Democrats know that. Like, you want people terrified, so they go back to work their shitty mall kiosk jobs, and they go back, and when you go down the shore, they're doing the throw a ball and hit the bottle game. Right, because they have to. There's nothing entertaining. Else they can a bunch do. of kids who exactly. just want to scream and and talk about. I just want to throw us. my boiling hot coffee in someone's face at a Starbucks, and I right. can't do that if no one's working. Yeah. At the end of the day, so implicit in all of this is the threat of like homelessness has been capitalism's favorite threat. Right. Right. Like we don't want to say we don't want to stop homelessness. No, and that's something that 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 was a big shock to me when I was still like relatively apolitical. I was pretty much a liberal. I, I haven't been paying attention. I thought the Democrats were the good guys this whole time. So I was like, oh, right. homelessness isn't a symptom of capitalism. It's just that we're just doing something wrong. Like there's like they did something wrong or we did something wrong, right. but it's like capitalism's fine. No, I, you know, that that moment where you realize like homelessness is is a byproduct. It's a direct Right. Result At the end of, of the day, all of us are three or four missed paychecks away right. from being homeless, from being evicted, from, from not having anywhere to go. Right. And so it just sort of goes to show that, like, this whole idea that people on the right will talk about, you know, in America you have freedom, but it, freedom is just so, sort of this, like, hollow concept if you don't genuinely have, like, freedom and mobility in society. Right, if like, you're strapped down by your economic circumstances, your type of freedom is just... A concept, you know, that, an that's idea. That's an interesting like, topic. You know, the term liberty, in particular, has meant different things throughout history. Uh, in the early days of 
colonial America, liberty meant property, basically. So the more liberty you had, the more freedom you had, was more land you owned, slaves you owned, etc., etc. So the more things you owned, the more free you were. And so if, if you keep that lens in mind, when you, when you read some of the, the founding documents, you realize that it's like when they're talking about freedom, it's not freedom for all. It's like you're free if you own shit. That's why like you weren't able to vote unless you were a white man who owned property in yeah. the early days of the, the country. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I remember reading somewhere that um, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was actually rewritten. It used to be life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Is I, that don't, I don't know correct? about that one. Yeah, I, I think happiness was in, in originally property. I mean, there were absolutely early drafts. Because I, I think the idea was like, oh, we hate that the monarchy automatically gets like, you know, access to all the wealth uh, for no reason other than their bloodline. Right. And so we're like, let's create a whole country where the whole idea is we can all just get filthy rich if we're just aggressively pers- pursuing it enough, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, it also like the, the, using Catholicism and, and Christianity in the sense that like, if if God didn't want us to do this, why would he make us rich and put us in the position to do these things? Right? right. We are post-hoc justification. Right. Like, We're obviously better than the savage, you know, quote-unquote savage, like Native Americans, because we have the power to shoot them and take them off their land. God must want us to do that. Right. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd stop us. Otherwise, he wouldn't put us in a position where I can pass a law says that, like, this land's ours now, and et cetera, et cetera. Go, go through with the list. So the whole idea of, like, liberty and freedom, you got me on that tangent of, it, it means different things to different people. It is a hollow term. It's such a hollow term. In like, general, yeah. what is freedom? You know, a lot of libertarians, like, freedom from the government, freedom from taxes. I want my taxes going to things. Like, that's not free. But I think, you know, if I was in, like, you know, Canada, and they're taking my tax money, and I have free health care, right? To me, right. I, I feel more free than... You right. know, in a libertarian's paradise where I don't have fucking healthcare because I... Uh, I mean, that's a good point. Like, our healthcare system where you have this idea of, like, a network, it's the most perfect depiction of, like, you wearing a, a chain, like a collar, and you're on a leash, and you're basically saying, like, right. oh, you know, if you break your leg in, in PA, you're, you're fine, you're covered. If you just go a few states out, oh, you're not, you're out of coverage, uh, sorry, you know, if you break well, your leg, it's all on you. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you get hit by a car and an ambulance. What sort of freedom is that? I mean... Ambulance outside of your, uh, your coverage takes you to a hospital to see a doctor outside your coverage. You get no say in any of that. You, know you don't get, mean? yeah, you don't get a say in your doctor. Um, freedom in general, America's 4% of the world's population. We have like 22% of everyone locked up on earth. Right. You know, like we almost have a quarter, almost one fourth of everyone behind bars in America. What is freedom and liberty? Yeah, and are we other authority to say anything about that? Right. Definitely not. You know, we, we look at other countries that are have incarceration or like, oh my God, I can't believe their cops are beating people up and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, have you all last year, like, were you fucking blind? Yeah. At the police brutality that happened on our own goddamn streets? Right. Yeah. Honestly. So props to Cory Bush. Um, we feel for <laughs> Nina Turner. Uh, we're. We're sure that the, the the leftist movement will continue, probably only get stronger. The more, that's the that's the thing I'm optimistic about is I I feel like the the more shit gets crazy, and the more the middle class and the working class and the poor are squeezed, the more our movement gets stronger. I guess. So that's at if, least that's my hope. If we're gonna leave you with something, something to think about is look, populism's on the rise. Populism is only gonna get stronger as it goes along. The question is, where is the populism gonna get funneled? Is it the Tucker Carlson 
fascism sort of way, where it's us versus them, that sort of populism? Or is it going to be this more grand... Yeah, this grand sort of awakening and awareness that um, this whole time we've been puppets on, on these like strings and the corporate elite are pulling all the all the strings in the right directions. Um, will, will the people eventually realize that regardless of what political like event is occurring, what laws are passed, it all benefits the top 1% pretty much unanimously. We get fed crumbs. And, like, I don't want to be an accelerationist, but part of me is sort of like a doomer in the sense that I feel that... Right. It's a good time to it, be an accelerationist. Yeah. If you think that bad... You know, bad scenarios, bad climate, bad uh, uh, the economy is good for our movement because it draws people along. Yeah. You're an accelerationist. You are in a good spot right now. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole segment on climate, and I'm sure we will. Yeah.